Let's take our Bibles this evening. <clears throat> Turn to Acts chapter 28 this evening. Acts 28. <clears throat> Acts chapter 28. And <clears throat> let's read from verse 1 this evening. <clears throat> Acts 28 verse 1 it says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. They kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked, <clears throat> they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. And when, So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with many such things as were necessary. <clears throat> Let's open a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we <clears throat> thank you again for the opportunity to come around your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless our time, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts this evening, that you would refresh us through your word. We pray that you would give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that it would indeed be your words and, and your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would empower me now through the Spirit, as only you can. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, chapter 27, as we saw this morning, ended with all 276 passengers safely uh, arriving on the shore. God spared the lives on, of everybody on board the ship. Now, God kept his promise. That was the promise that he'd made uh, to Paul. And God kept that promise. And God brought them all safely to the shore of the island that was before them. You know, when they abandoned the ship, they still didn't know where they were. They didn't know where they'd been shipwrecked. Uh, chapter 27 and verse 39, it says, And when it was day, they knew not the, the land. They still didn't know. Okay, They waited through the night, remember? And then they, in the morning, made, made for land, tried to get as close as they could. They still didn't know where they had been shipwrecked. It wasn't until they made sure, and I guess they started to look around a bit, that it finally dawned on them that they were on the island of Miletus. Verse 1, it says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. They finally now know where they are. And many of the crew on board the ship, the sailors, would have known this island. Uh, reason being is that this was a, a, a main stopover. It was a main port. And so they would have 
probably have been to this island before. They probably visited it before, and so they would have known it well. The reason they didn't recognise it is that they wouldn't have recognised this stretch of the coastline. They were accustomed to uh, making port at the city of Valletta, which is further to the south of where they believe Paul's ship was shipwrecked. And so they would have known that stretch, but they didn't know this stretch of the coast, which is why they didn't recognise it. And the name Mylita here means refuge. It's from the the Phoenician uh, sailors. They were the ones who named this place, and they called it Refuge. And no doubt it's because they found refuge on this island. It was a place of shelter from uh, the storms, from the the winds that we talked about this morning. Uh, They'd obviously found refuge on this island, and hence they named it Refuge, or Mylita. And today the same island is known by the name of Malta. That's what it's called today. If you're looking at your maps, it's the island of Malta. And it's located approximately 80 kilometres to the south of Sicily. And Sicily is that <clears throat> southernmost island that's connected to Italy there. Uh, it's, it's the southernmost point there. And so 80 kilometres to the south, you have this island of Malta. And the island is tiny. It's small. It's only 316 square kilometres. Now, to put that into perspective, if you take the island of Malta and put it into Tasmania, it'll fit 216 times. And so it's tiny. But it has the same population today as Tasmania. It has about 500,000 people living on this small little island in the Mediterranean Sea. And the island of Malta has a reputation, and I thought this was an interesting fact, I'm just sharing a few things with you. The island of Malta has a reputation of being the most bombed spot in the world during World War II. It suffered 1,200 air raids with 14,000 bombs dropped on the Maltese people. Think about that. That tiny little island has just been bombed to smithereens during World War II. So much so that in 1942, King George awarded the whole island the George Cross for bravery. The whole island was given it. And so that's a small little history lesson, just quickly a side alley there to tell you about Malta today. But this is the island where Paul is shipwrecked. It's on this island of Malta. And during Paul's day, the island was under the control of Roman rule. Okay, the Romans uh, were in charge. They had a presence there. But you know, by the time Paul leaves, he's left his impression. By the time he leaves the island, Paul has left a lasting impression upon the island, a lasting legacy. And it's still today the island of Malta identifies as a Christian nation. Now, majority of it's Catholic, but they identify as a Christian nation and they trace that back to Paul being shipwrecked here on the island. And so this evening we want to consider Paul's time here on the island of Malta. First of all, this evening we see an unplanned miracle. We see an unplanned miracle. Let's just read from verse 1. It says, And when they were escaped, they knew, sorry, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the, bar, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hanging on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, 
yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. And so they've made it safely to shore on this island of Malta. And it tells us that the local people here show them kindness. They show them kindness. And Luke here, he describes them as being barbarous people there in verse 2, and he calls them barbarians in verse 4. And the reason being is because of who they are. Okay, uh, The natives of this island are largely of Phoenician descent, and so their language, sorry, their language is a Phoenician dialect. They don't speak Greek. Well, at least it's not their main language. And so because of this, they're regarded as being barbarians by the Greeks and indeed by the Romans. Not because they're rude, not because they're uncivilized or backward. Rather, it's because they don't speak Greek. That's the reason why they're called this. And Paul uses the term in the exact same way in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 14. Just turn over there quickly. <clears throat> Romans 1 and verse 14, it says, I am debt debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul's using it there in the same way. He separates the Greeks and the barbarians, okay? The Greeks and everyone else, okay? And that's, that's the way he uses it there in Romans 1. It's the way Luke's using it here to speak of the native people, okay? Someone who didn't speak Greek was regarded by the Greeks and the Romans as being a barbarian. You know, verse 2 makes it clear that these natives of the island of Malta were uh, anything but barbarians in character. You know, this might have been what they were called, but they weren't barbarians in character. Verse 2, it says, And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. You know, it might have been expected that they would be hostile towards strangers washed up on shore. But instead, what they do is they show themselves to be very hospitable, don't they? They show themselves to be truly a civilized people. They receive all 276 stranded passengers and they receive them with warm hospitality. Luke describes how because of the, the rain and because it's a cold morning, they kindle a fire and they help them get warm and dry. They take care of them. And so they show great compassion here, don't they? Great kindness. And, you know, it's to be commended, isn't it? And that's why Luke mentions it here, okay? Because this is a commendable trait about these people, okay? Their, their kindness, their compassion to these strangers. And immediately we see that Paul, now upon the island, he immediately makes himself useful. Look there in verse 3. It says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. You know, Paul, he's just been shipwrecked upon the island. He's just gone through a, a terrible ordeal. And what's Paul doing? He's gathering sticks. He's gathering wood for the fire. You know, while he was on board the ship, Paul had shown himself to be a, a practical and helpful person to the centurion and to everyone else. And now he's on land. Paul continues to do the same thing. You know, Paul is immediately here doing a simple task, serving others, gathering wood for the fire. You know, after all that had happened, we could have, you know, we would have forgiven Paul here, wouldn't we, if he was found sitting by the fire, taking it easy, warming himself, 
after the ordeal that he's been through. But instead, we see the servant heart of the Apostle Paul. One commentator wrote this. He said, The great apostle gathered wood for the fire, even though there were probably scores of people among the 276 passengers and crew far more suited for the job. Paul's servant heart was always evident, and it is. His servant heart is evident here. Just in this simple little task, he's busy. He's serving others here upon the island. And as Paul puts his bundle of sticks, his bundle of wood upon the fire, Luke tells us that this viper comes out and fastens on his hand, bites him on the hand. At the end of verse 3 there it says, And laid them on the fire and came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And it was seen that the snake was in the bundle of wood uh, that, that Paul has gathered. You know, perhaps it's lethargic and a bit um, asleep because of the cold. And so he's gathered it up with everything else. He's thrown it on the fire and the heat has uh, woken it up and the snake has jumped out and bit Paul on the hand. And Luke tells us here that it's a viper. Now, that doesn't give us any indication exactly what species of snake or anything because the word viper in the Greek is just poisonous snake. That's what it's talking about. Okay, So it just means it's a poisonous snake that bites him. You know, on the island of Malta today, there are no poisonous snakes and so this is one reason why people go oh I can't be that island and they start to be contentious about it but evidently in Paul's day there were I mean things change don't they okay in almost 2,000 years things change and so on the island of Malta there might not be poisonous snakes today but there were in Paul's day and indeed the local people they saw it as a poisonous snake didn't they you read verse 4 it says and when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said amongst themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Now the locals, they identified as a poisonous snake. They fully expect Paul to die as a result of this bite that he's received. You know, their immediate response is to conclude that Paul must be a terrible criminal, that he must be a murderer and that he deserves to die. You know, that although he's escaped the sea, now he's upon land, this snake is his punishment. This is justice catching up with him. You know, they believe the gods were punishing Paul for his crime. You know, the words translated at the end of the verse there, it says, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. The words yet vengeance there are actually uh, speaking about justice as a person. And so it's referring to their goddess of justice. Okay, the goddess of justice that they served on the island, they're saying our goddess is dealing with Paul. Justice, the god of justice, is catching up with Paul, is dealing with him here. That's their immediate thoughts. You know, Paul, he's unfazed by this, and he merely shakes off the snake into the fire, and he feels no harm. Verse 5 says, And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Paul's unfazed. He's unfazed. This snake has no effect upon him. It doesn't harm him in any way. You know, God didn't preserve Paul right throughout that journey of 14 nights upon the sea. God didn't preserve Paul through the shipwreck for Paul now to die from a snake bite upon the island of Malta, did he? You know, Paul is still God's servant and he's God's servant who has a promise from God that he's going to Rome. And so Paul, when he gets bitten by the snake, he's not concerned, is he? 
He's not worried. God has promised him you're going to Rome and you're going to testify of me before Caesar. He's going to get there. And so this snake bite here has absolutely no effect upon Paul. God sees to it. You know, what we see here is yet another example in the word of God, how the man of God is immortal while ever he's in the will of God. While ever he's doing God's will, nothing can harm him. Nothing can stop him because God's not finished with Paul yet. He's God's servant and God is protecting him. His hand is upon Paul. In verse 6, we see the natives watching intently to see what happens to Paul. Verse 6, it says, Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after that, sorry, after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. You know, they're watching intently. They're waiting for Paul to, to swell up. They're waiting for him to, to die as a result of this bite. They're watching. They're waiting. And as time passes and Paul remains unaffected, nothing's happening, the people change their minds, don't they? At first they said he must be a, a terrible criminal. He must be a murderer deserving of death. Now they think Paul is a god. They think he's a god. You know, this is a reaction to the power of God that we've seen before, haven't we, in the book of Acts. Go back to Acts chapter 14 with me quickly. Acts 14. Acts 14. And let's read from verse 8. It says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never have walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up, uh, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of uh, Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. And so we saw the same thing happen here. They, you know, Paul heals this man. He, you know, this man rises up and walks and goes walking and leaping. And the response of the people to seeing this great miracle is what? They call Paul and Barnabas gods. This was their reaction. And you know, on that occasion, Paul's immediate response to that was to tell them straight away, I'm not a god. And he pointed them to the one true God. Just read from uh, verse 13. It says, Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and the things that are therein. Paul's immediate response on that occasion in Acts 14 was to rent his clothes and he said, Don't worship me. Don't worship Barnabas. We're not gods. We're servants of the one true God. Paul was very quick to set them straight as to their error. You know, their, their, their horrible error, their their heresy. He was very quick to deal with it, to squash it. 
My point is that here on the island of Malta, we can be sure Paul did the same thing. Luke doesn't record for us what happens after that. Okay, verse 6, he sort of just goes on to the next part of the story. He doesn't record for us Paul saying anything. But we can guarantee that Paul, if he'd seen the natives saying he's a god, Paul would have taken this opportunity. Paul wouldn't have let that go on. Paul would have, like he did in Acts 14, he would have stood up and told them, no, I'm not a god. I serve the one true god. He would have taken this opportunity to declare unto them the truth. You see, this miracle, this unplanned miracle here, served to get the attention of the local people, didn't it? Until this point, they didn't know who Paul was. They didn't know anything about him. But now they see there's something special about Paul. They're talking about him. They're wondering what's going on. And they're wondering what's this miracle mean. And it gives Paul an opportunity, and Luke gives them an opportunity to declare the truth. You know, right throughout the book of Acts, <clears throat> we've seen that this is how God has used the miraculous, miracles. This is the reason why they always, always uh, came or were given by God. It was for this point, to get the attention of the people so that his servants might tell them the truth. That was always God's purpose. You know, miracles on their own are never enough to save. And that's clear here, isn't it, from verse 6. Their response to the miracle is to worship Paul, say he must be a god. Miracles on their own are not enough to save. They must always be accompanied by the revelation of the truth. You know, Romans 10 verse 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the word of God. And so we can guarantee here that Paul and Luke take the time to tell them the truth. They're not passing up this opportunity. I mean, we've read, we've gone through all of Acts. We've been doing almost 80 messages now in Acts. And we've seen Paul do this time and time again, haven't we? And Peter and the other apostles take these opportunities to preach the truth. And the point is, you know, like Paul, we're being watched, aren't we? We're being watched by the world, being watched by those around us. And like Paul, like Luke, like the other apostles, we need to make the most of every opportunity. We need to take the opportunities that God gives us to magnify him and testify of the truth. And those opportunities come up every week, don't they? There's opportunities that are, that are put before us. And we need to pray and ask the, Lord to take, ask the Lord to help us to take those opportunities, not pass them up, but take that opportunity to point people to the truth, point people to our God and magnify Him. And we, so we've seen an unplanned miracle, and now secondly we see a ministry of healing. A ministry of healing. Verse 7 says in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius who received us and lodged us three days courteously and it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him in verse 7 Luke now sort of changes scenery tells us about what happens now next and we learn that paul luke and others are taken in by one of the men on the island and we're told this man is the is is called publius and that he is the chief man of the island and basically what that means is he's the first man of the island that's the literal translation of the greek the first man of the island and apparently this was an official title uh, for people on the island of malta and they found two inscriptions on malta with this title written in it okay this this title the chief of the island or the first man of the island 
And essentially what they believe this title was is that they were the governor of the island. Okay? That's what they believe this man is, Publius. They believe he's the governor of the island of Malta or Mylita as it's called at this stage. And evidently he owns land very close to and his estate is very close to where this shipwreck has taken place. Okay? It says uh, there in verse 7, in the same quarters were possessions. In the same quarters, in the same vicinity, in the same area. Uh, there he owned this land, he had this estate. And so he invites them in and it says that he lodges them for three days courteously. Now it would be a stretch for us to believe that Publius here uh, takes in all 276 passengers. Uh, I mean, to do that, he must own a pretty big estate. Okay? And so in verse 7 where Luke says us, he's probably referring to himself, Paul, possibly the, uh, the centurion and maybe the ship, ship, ship's captain and others. He's talking about a small group, isn't he? Okay? The others are obviously somewhere else. Um, I mean, it's, it's a large group for him to have taken in all of them. But the point is, Paul at least and Luke, they're staying with Publius at this time. And while they're staying there, once again, God uses circumstances to demonstrate that Paul is his servant and to demonstrate that he is the one true God. In verse 8, we see that Publius' father is gravely ill. It says, And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Now Luke, as we know, is a doctor. That was his profession. And so Luke here, in his doctor, is giving us his diagnosis. He's telling us what this man has and what's wrong with him. He gives us a description of the illness. He says he's sick with a fever and bloody flux. Now the word fever in the Greek is in the plural. And so what that indicates to us is it's not just he's got one fever, it's that he's been suffering prolonged uh, intermittent attacks of fever. It's been going on for weeks. These fevers keep coming upon him. And the words bloody flux in the Greek, uh, they're from a word that's almost identical to our English word dysentery. The Greek word's basically the same, dysentery. And so he lays sick with fevers and dysentery. That's what he's got here. And because of these symptoms, uh, most commentators believe that he lay sick with what's called today Malta fever. And it comes from a microorganism found in unpasteurized milk on the island of Malta. And the symptoms of this, this disease are these fevers and dysentery, and it lasts for months. And then it can go away and they can come back again because you've got the organism in your system. And eventually, if it keeps going, it can get that bad, you can die from it. It's a pretty horrible thing to be suffering from. And that's what they believe he's got here, this Malta fever. And so he's gravely ill. He's suffering. And it seems that Luke, even though he's a doctor, he can't help him. He can diagnose the problem, but he's unable to help him. You know, Paul steps forward and God uses Paul to demonstrate his power, doesn't he? He uses Paul. In verse 8 again we see, And it came to pass, the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed, and laid his hands on him and healed him. Paul enters in now, and we're told he does two things. He enters in and he prays for the man, and lays his hands on him, 
and God responds to this act of faith by healing the man. Now, James chapter 5 speaks about the prayer of faith. Let's just turn over there, James 5. James 5 and verse 14 says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. It's a prayer of faith, and Paul's definitely here praying in faith, isn't he? Praying in faith. But likewise, he's praying in accordance with the will of God, which is what 1 John chapter 5 speaks about. Turn over there, 1 John 5. First John 5 and verse 14. It says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if, we, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. It speaks about praying in accordance with the will of God. And that's what Paul does here. Paul enters in, he lays hands on him, and he prays. He prays in faith, according to the will of God, and God miraculously heals the man. God answers Paul's prayer. You know, in this episode here, we have a wonderful example of the power of prayer, don't we? The power of prayer. You know, our God is still the same God today. He hasn't changed. The God that Paul served is the God we serve. Our God still hears and answers our prayers. His power has not changed. His power has not diminished. But the key is that we must pray in faith and according to his will. That's the key, isn't it? The two to go together, pray in faith and according to his will. You know, God will always hear our prayers, but we must be willing to accept his will. We must be willing to accept that the answer to his prayer to the prayer is his answer. It's his will. See, God's answer is not always the one we want, is it? It's the one he wants. And so we pray in faith. And we pray according to God's will. You know, here we see that. Paul's prayer is in faith and it is according to God's will. And God answers by healing this man miraculously. And this result, sorry, this miraculous healing here, the result of it is that news spreads quickly across the island. News spreads quickly of what's happened. Look there in verse 9. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. <clears throat> News spreads quickly of what's taken place. So that soon, you know, Paul and Luke have a whole line of people waiting to see them to be healed. It says there at the end of verse 9. But you know what's interesting about verse 9 is that the word healed in the Greek is a totally different word than the ver- word translated healed in verse 8. It's a different Greek word. And it's not the normal word used in the scriptures to talk about miraculous healing. It's not the normal word. This word literally means to receive medical attention. And so perhaps there's a suggestion here that Luke has set up a medical center on the island and Luke is now a medical missionary seeing all these people who are sick and offering them medical aid. Now Paul's probably there too and perhaps he is healing them too, but The word is different and there is definitely a suggestion here that that's what's taking place. That these people are coming to see Paul and Luke and Luke is offering medical aid to these people. 
You know, verse 10 indicates that Luke has a share in the honours. It says in verse 10, who also honoured us with many honours. That word honours there is a word that's used and applied to uh, the idea of payment for professional services. It's the idea you've come to see someone, see the doctor, and you make payment to him. You give honour to him for what's happened. And so that seems to be what's taking place here. That Paul, that Paul and Luke are on the island there, acting now as medical missionaries, if you like, seeing all these people and offering aid unto them. And in this way, the Lord now provides their needs, doesn't he? He provides their needs for the next three months that they're on this island. Verse 11 says, And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria. And so they're there for three months on the island, and during that time, they're offering aid, they're meeting the physical needs of the people, and they're receiving these gifts from the people. It's meeting their needs. God's taking care of them on the island. Indeed, when it comes time for them to leave, the people are extremely grateful for all they've done. So much so they load the vessel with everything they need for the journey ahead. Verse 10, it says, He wanted us with many honours, and when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And so they laded the ship. That's what it's talking about there. Okay, they gave them everything they needed for the journey ahead. You know, once again, this section here in Acts chapter 28, you know, this section highlights a miracle that then led to a ministry that was used by Paul and Luke to minister to the people. Once again, a miracle was used by God to accomplish a purpose, to get the attention of the people on the island. So that the people on the island are coming to see who? Paul and Luke, his servants. As I said earlier, throughout the book of Acts, there's always been the purpose of miracles, the miraculous. It's always been to get the attention of the people so they might come to the truth. And again, although Luke doesn't tell us here about them meeting the spiritual needs of the people, again, we know that they did. They didn't pass up the opportunity. They got a, a line of people from all over the island coming to see them for medical aid. They're not passing them by and not giving them the scriptures. They're not giving, not giving them the gospel. Of course they are. They ministered to these people spiritually as well. And tradition tells us that Publius got saved under Paul's ministry and that he became the first bishop of the island of Malta. That's tradition. That's what they say, that Publius became the first bishop. It's also said that he was martyred under the Roman persecution. And so no doubt many were saved under the ministry of Paul and Luke during this three months. And it's during that time on the island that a church is established and this Christian influence takes hold on the island of Malta during these three months. And it starts with these two miracles that lay the foundation for them to share the message with the people. You know, the wonderful truth in all this is that God used these events to create opportunities for his people to minister the truth, to give the gospel unto the people. And you know, we likewise need to remember that God is directing our paths each and every day. God's directing our paths. He knows the people we're going to come across. He knows the the trials we go through. He knows the circumstances we are going to face. And each of those things is put there by God for a purpose. And each of those things is an opportunity for us to point others to Christ, isn't it? And that's how we need to view these things, like Paul and like Luke, view these things as an opportunity to point others to our God, to magnify God in the sight of people so that they might come to the truth themselves. We need to not pass up 
the opportunities that God gives unto us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, tonight for uh, Paul and Luke, their ministry here on the, the island of Malta, Lord, to the people. Lord, these miracles that you, uh, Lord, gave to get the attention of the people uh, so that Paul and Luke might have an opportunity to minister to the spiritual needs of the people as well. Lord, I pray you help us in our own lives to realize, Lord, that, uh, Lord, those things that happen in our lives, the trials, the circumstances, the, the people we come across, Lord, they're opportunities, opportunities put before us to, to give the gospel and to, to magnify you in the sight of other people. Lord, may you help us to do that each and every day. Uh, Lord, we pray for opportunities even this week. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. As we close this, this evening, let's turn to 160. <clears throat> 160 channels only. Let's stand and sing the first and last this evening to uh, 160. Let's stand. How I praise Thee, precious Saviour. Thy love laid hold of me, thou hast said and cleansed and healed me, that I might thy channel be, channels only, blessed master, of thy wondrous power. Through us thou canst use us every day and every hour. Jesus, fill now Spirit, must that full surrender know that the streams of living water from our inner man may flow, channels only, blessed master, but with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every today is to close in prayer. Thank you. Gracious Father, we thank you this night for your word. We thank you, Father, for your servant, the Apostle Paul. We thank you for Luke as well and for their testimony for you. And we thank you, Father, that uh, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, uh, they were faithful to you and, uh, Lord, you were faithful to them. And we thank you for their witness and testimony to us. Help us, Father God, as believers each day to look for opportunities to minister for you, to be a blessing to others, to take opportunity to share the gospel with them, that they might be saved. They just commend your word to our hearts this night, and bless us as we depart from this place, give us safety and give us safety when we meet again.